Welcome to episode 50 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. I am riding solo today. Nikolai Bracha was not able to make it. He's been kind of dealing with a couple of things that he has to take care of before he's back on with us next week for the big pay-per-view. But in the meantime, we get to break down UFC Vegas 62, which is headlined by Alex Grosso and Viviana Rujo. A pretty high-level 125-pound fight in a division that needs a legitimate contender. I think this fight might just make for one. It's not like you need a 10-fight winning streak to get a, a, a title shot in a division as weak as this one is. And I do think Alexa Grosso and Vivian Rujo are supremely talented athletes. And then, honestly, a bunch of really fight fun fights on this card. Jonathan Martinez, Cub Swanson, some question marks about this one, but it's going to be fun. There's no doubt it's going to be entertaining. Zero chance that it's going to be boring. Askar Askar versus Brandon Roy Ball should be a fun, scrappy battle. Dusko Todorovic, Jordan Wright, guaranteed finished within a couple of rounds. Alonzo Minifield, Misha Serkinov, both those guys. Uh, well, I should say Misha Serkinov being as undurable as he is, I think, I think lends itself to this being an exciting fight with Alonzo Minifield's power. And Serkinov is a finisher on the ground. Maybe he got something there. Either way, it should be exciting. Pete Rodriguez, Mike Jackson. I mean, again, a lot of these fights are going to be exciting. Um, Nick Maximoff, Jacob Malkoon might be a really, really bad fight. That's the only one that I'm seeing on this one that's very likely to not be fun to watch. Maybe Pete Rodriguez, Mike Jackson, just their combined lack of experience and even mid-level MMA might make for a bad fight. But even that one should be exciting for as long as it lasts. Let me quickly dive in and break down this card for you all. Alexa Grasso, Viviana Rujo. Alexa Grasso, obviously an excellent boxer. has really been honing up her submission game. Her takedown defense, I would say, has, her, has been her big weakness. And I think that's where Viviana Rujo can exploit her early on the problem is Arujo is not going to finish from that top position and Arujo if she's getting takedowns in the first couple rounds if she's actually fending off Alexa Grosso's high up but striking and landing strikes of her own she's going to be using a lot of her gas tank she tends to fade in that third round in the majority of her career when she's fighting somebody who's going to give her resistance and she's definitely going to get resistance from Grosso I like Grosso here man at minus 215 I think these are good odds um, she's somebody that you can parlay, somebody that you can consider maybe by decision at somewhere around plus 125 odds if you want a, a prop bet on this one. But I'd probably put her in a parlay or just better straight. These odds is really not bad. I also think this is a fight that you seriously want to consider betting live. I would say in the middle or end of that second round where Viviana Rujo is looking at least competitive, possibly winning that first and second round before the fight starts to get away from her in rounds three, four, and five is when you want to place that bet because Rujo is almost guaranteed to slow down. And Alexa Grasso is not somebody who's easily going to be finished. She's really only lost to the very elite. She's lost, uh, if you look at Alexa Grasso's record, I think her last losses to the champion at 115 pounds, uh, Carla Esparza, back in 2019. And honestly, it was a super competitive fight. It was a majority decision. Could have easily gone uh, Alexa Grasso's way. And prior to that, she lost to Tatiana Suarez, who is the other person who beat Carla Esparza. So... Not exactly a whole lot to be ashamed of outside her, of her loss to Felice Herrick back in 2017 when she was super green. I think her boxing, I think her overall experience, she has a record of 14-3. and three. She's charismatic. She's interesting. She's, um, she's got the look of a marketable fighter. She's got Mexico behind her if the UFC can really kind of push her when it comes to the promotion. So I think Alexa Grasso gets this win. I think it should be a, a fun, scrappy fight. I've heard a lot of people talking about how this fight doesn't belong at the top. Of the card, I think Askar Askarov versus Brandon Roy Val is really the only other fight that you can seriously consider as the main event over this one. I mean, Cub Swanson has some name sway, but 
neither he or Jonathan Martinez are like super, super high ranked fighters, especially at 135. So I, I think this is a, a fine main event. Um, I would love to see Askar Askarov versus Brandon Ryball go five rounds, though. That, that would be fascinating. I think it would also give Roy Ball more of an opportunity to finish Askarov at some point. But anyway, neither here nor there. So again, Bet Grosso here. I like her odds a lot. I, I don't like Viviana Rujo's gas tank in this one, as explosive, as sharp as she is early. She can't keep up that kind of pacing and that kind of output for the long haul. Um, and she's very hittable, even against like mid-tier strikers. Sometimes she'll face a grappler like uh, like Montana Del Rosa and get touched up a bunch. Um, you know, Alexa Grosso is going to touch this girl. And beating Andrea Lee, tossing her around a little bit, you know, Andrea Lee, who basically kind of didn't want to continue that to, to put the effort into that fight, um, is not as impressive as maybe it is uh, to some people as, as maybe it is in my eyes. Then we have Jonathan Martinez versus Cub Swanson. This one's going to be fun, guaranteed. Both are really high output strikers. Both are guys who are going to put um, some power into a lot of the shit that they throw. Both guys have knockout wins. Both guys have knockout losses, right? And that's what makes this one uh, kind of particularly promising is that as much as Jonathan Martinez is on a three-fight winning streak, um, he did lose that fight to David Grant back in early 2021. He's actually gotten quite a few fights in, in 2022. This is going to be his uh, third fight in 2022. Wouldn't be surprised if he tries to sneak one in there at the very end of the year. Um, but... Look, uh, beating Vince Morales, Alejandro Perez, and Zviad Labashvili on, like, two days' notice is not quite Cub Swanson level of competition, right? Cub Swanson's been fighting people like Darren Elkins, who he dominated and smoked in the first round. Daniel Pineda, who he smoked in that second round. Uh, Jika Jakarta, yeah, he got finished by him early, but Jika is a really dangerous guy, especially with that body kick, and that's what kind of led to the finish there. Kron Gracie, he, he out, outpaced out and dominated, right? His losses prior to that, and back in 2017 through 2019, he was on a, on a four-fight losing streak. Lost to Shane Burgos, Renato Maicano, Frankie Edgar, and Brian Ortega. Not only was he in a bad place, but he was facing some really dangerous, really, really good fighters. Uh, particularly, you know, losing to Shane Burgos by split decision. Let me quickly look up uh, what the MMA decisions verdict on that was. Whether that was as close as a split decision might suggest. Bear with me here. I don't have Nick Stalling as I look this up on this episode. Anyway, so, I mean, it looks like the majority of, of the MMA media had it for Burgos 29-28. Some had it 30-27. And then a couple of people, uh, Ryan Frederick from Wrestling Observer, Eddie Marcello from Bloody Elbow, and MMA Mania's person had a 29-28 for Swanson. So, again, a competitive fight against Shane Burgos, who was, you know, arguably at his prime at that time. Um, I think this is the kind of matchup that Cub Swanson can win. He's beaten these guys who are not uber dangerous right away yeah he's his durability is not what it used to be but martinez is, isn't either if you look at martinez he's been finished a couple of times in his career um and it's 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 often by knockout right david grant knocked him out andrew you will got him by split decision um and then you know what i shouldn't say it's often by knockout i should say that he's been downed a couple of times in his last couple of fights so has swanson um, the durability isn't there really truly for either of these guys, but I'm going to go with Swanson's craft, his experience. Um, I think that'll probably win it out for him. And if you look at the situation here with both these guys fighting at 135, and I know that Martinez has been there before for Cub Swanson. This is his first time at that weight division. Um, and at age, what, 38, 39 now, right? He's not exactly, not exactly at a point where you would think, like, this is going to be an okay cut. S sounds like the cut's going okay for him as of now, though. Size-wise, they're almost identical, 5'8", with 78 reach for both guys. Um, I'm going to go with Swanson. I think a high level of competition. I think he's going to be able to uh, potentially outcraft, maybe even land something big on 
Martinez, but I, I want to kind of watch Swanson this week because he does this weird interview thing where like somebody else, uh, he did kind of a, a scrum with media and some one of his teammates was doing the talking for him. He was just sitting there with sunglasses on, just sitting there not saying a word. So I don't know where he is mentally. If he's in the right place mentally, he should do okay. Or if not, man, I'm uh, I'm going to change my pick to Martinez, man. I'm going to I'm going to watch this and see if there's any interviews with Cuff Swanson to see where his head currently is at. Then we have Askar Askarov versus. By the way, when it comes to the betting, I would probably like Cuff Swanson being an underdog, right? You got to consider putting some money on the underdog when you expect the fight to go so close and. You can get them at, at as much as plus 182 odds, right? So, like, I do think it's worth a little bit of a sprinkle. Um, hard to rely on either guy, but when you have a, a fight that, at least in my opinion, could go either way, you might as well go with the underdog. It's a dog or pass for me. Next, Askar Askarov versus Brandon Rival. Brandon Rival, super dynamic, super dangerous, throws insane shit on the feet that can finish guys, particularly spinning back fist. On the ground, he's really crafty, man, and he catches high-level opponents with submissions. It's actually very impressive. Matt Schnell, he guillotined. Uh, Rogerio Bontarin, he won a split decision over. Bontarin is a really good black belt grappler. He did get finished by Alexander Pandoja, and he did lose via injury to Brandon Moreno, who is, you know, arguably number one or number two in the world at this weight division. Has a win over Kakar France, who, by the way, Askar Askarov just lost to. So that's where it gets kind of interesting. What it, If you ask me, right, Brandon Royval is a guy who is missing a lot of those kind of in-between elements to his game. He's got the tenacity. He's got he's got the output. He's got the cardio. He's got the toughness. The problem is his wrestling is not great. His transition game overall is not awesome, right? And as dangerous as he is, as you're running straight into the spinning back elbow, his striking isn't exactly um, – it's not super clean. It's not super sharp, even though it's super high output, and he is brave enough to just keep throwing. He will just keep throwing until you are overwhelmed. The problem in this matchup is that Askar Askarov's a really good grappler, as the Dagestani heritage might kind of suggest, right? Um, Brandon Royval is going to be the taller fighter here. He's used to being the taller fighter with a three-inch height advantage of 5'9", but he's only got a one-inch reach advantage. Uh, the Southpaw Orthodox matchup could be interesting here, but look, we saw Askar Askarov take some damage against um, against Kaikara France, and then slowly kind of the fight got away from him as Kai, as as as. Um, Kaikar France just kind of took over in rounds two and three. So there might be like an inability to take serious damage early. Element to Askarov, which we haven't really seen him take major damage, although he did get dropped a couple times by Moreno somehow. Walked away with a lucky draw there, but um, he can be dropped, and Brandon Royval is that fucking dangerous. Now, given the odds here, is Brandon Royval worth a look? Yeah, plus 200, plus 224 odds. You can get him uh, at one of the sports books. Yeah, you got to consider that. Particularly Brandon Royval by via finish, right? Because if he's going to win this fight, it's not, I don't think it's super likely to be a decision. If Royval is going to win this fight, it's going to be by finish. And let me see what the odds are quickly for you all. Royval inside the distance, plus 380 uh, at DraftKings. Not bad odds, especially if you if you also put in a bet of, uh, of Askarov by decision. Because if Askarov wins... Unless, you know, unless there's there's some kind of an injury to Rival. And we've seen Rival get submitted too, but Askarov's not really a finisher at all. The guy's a decision machine. So I think that if Askarov wins this fight, it's going to be by decision. And fight goes to decision, minus 110 odds. I, I don't know if that's the way I would go. I would go with Askarov um, not inside the distance. Where is it? Hold on. Askarov by decision, plus 145 odds you can get on some sports books, plus 130 odds uh, at DraftKings. So... That's something to consider here. Like, I know, again, I know the prop bets are going to just complicate things. So if you want to put Askarov maybe in a parlay and then hedge that 
with a Moreno, uh, excuse me, hedge that with a Roy Ball by finish prop, that might be the way to go in this case uh, to kind of hedge yourself and put yourself in, a, in an almost win-win situation. Next up, we've got a matchup between Tusko, Dusko Todorovic and Jordan Wright. Dusko Todorovic came into the UFC. We were expecting a lot of big things from this guy. He has a win over Michelle Pereira earlier in his career. Um, he went to decision with Gregory Rodriguez, right? So, like, on favor, it doesn't sound like he has the worst durability, but he got knocked out but by Punaheli Soriano, got knocked out by Chidi and Jokowani. <coughs> Excuse me, please, getting over a cold from last week. And his durability is really the issue, but the bigger issue is how hittable he is. Maybe he is fairly durable, right? Again, surviving to a decision with Gregory Rodriguez is to his favor. Beating Michelle Pereira by first-round knockout back in 2018, you know, a lesser version of Michelle Pereira, but still super dangerous giant man for this division. This is impressive stuff, but the fact that he's been knocked out a couple times in the last year, year and a half, is concerning, right? The last time he's been knocked out was in May, which is just a few months ago. Like, is he fully recovered? Uh, you know, he was he was hurt pretty badly by that Chidi and Jokowani elbow. And Jordan Wright is super dangerous early, so can he land something at a distance and finish this fight? Yes, he can. Realistically, Dusko Todorovic takes him down, pounds on him, and it's going to be over soon. Anyway, you put it, this fight is not going to the scorecards. Uh, if you you know if you bet this fight like under a round and a half or under two and a half rounds, that's probably the safest way to go. Unless suddenly one of these guys has completely changed their style around and is going to hold on for dear life. But I like Dusko Todorovic in a fight where Jordan Wright definitely has the ability to finish it almost immediately, given Todorovic's hitability and Jordan Wright at plus 175. Let me see what Jordan Wright is by knockout. Wright by KO is plus 310 on sports, some sports books, plus 250 on others. So, like, there is a potential opportunity to be had there, but it's a tough it's tough to rely on either of these guys, to be honest with you. <coughs> Excuse me. We got Misha Serkinov versus Alonzo Menafield. Now, this one is, again, a, a fight between two guys who, like, had seemingly had the potential to be top 10 material at one point, but kind of flushed it all down the toilet. At this point, Serkinov is, I mean, if you look at his record, he is 2-6 and six in his last eight fights in the UFC. His wins are over Jimmy Crute, which is really impressive, uh, considering his level uh, that he's been kind of showing over the last little while. And Patrick Cummins, Patrick Cummins back in 2018. Patrick Cummins, right? Outside of that, he's got losses to Volkan Ozdemir, Glover Teixeira, Ryan Spann, all by knockout. He's got a decision loss to Chris Evjok, who's a, who's a decision machine. He's got a armbar loss to Wellington Terman in a fight that he was doing pretty well in early on. Out of nowhere, Wellington Terman catches an armbar from his back, and Mishra Sarkhanov is supposed to be a grappler by trade. So not only is he not durable, but it seems like his skills are receding, even though maybe strategically he's making some good good moves tactically he's making huge mistakes and technically he's making huge mistakes and i think a lot of it is because he is kind of in his own head about the fact that he's been fucked up so many times again two and six um, it's almost surprising that the guy still has a job i think if he loses this one to menafield it's probably going to be it for him in the ufc menafield however you know he beat guys like fabio charant ed herman askar mosharov you know last time the, the the fraud of a guy um so you know he lost to william knight which was disappointing but I do think the guy has more potential. I think he can keep it on his feet. I like that he trains with Fortis MMA, and, and I think that he can piece up Mishra Serkinov. By the way, Mishra Serkinov, a local Vegas guy, to his, I guess, benefit maybe, and you would think that would work out for him in, in one of maybe more than two of his last uh, eight fights. 
Um, so again, I like Alonzo Menafield here. I think he's going to club him over the head and drop him. And this fight is very, very likely not to go to the scorecards because Mr. Surkinov is simply not durable. Matt Martinez, Brendan Davis. Brendan Davis, who, you know, washed out of the UFC, was was getting beat by pretty decent guys. That right says the beat Magomed Sharipov, Enrique Barzola, Kyung Ho Kang, Jigazigadze. These are like really solid opponents that he's losing to. He's got wins over Steven Peterson and Randy Costa, who Randy Costa, you know, you know how Randy does. He's really dangerous early and then and then you could take over. Um, got got dropped from the UFC back in 2019 after that Chikadze split decision loss, mind you, right? Like not not unimpressive considering where Chikadze's gone since then. Got four wins in the local scene. Came back, got knocked out by Dana Batgarel, uh, and that was a year ago. Now he's coming almost exactly a year to, to the day of this fight. And he's coming back fighting heavy hitter Mana Martinez. Look, can he outstrike Mana Martinez over the course of three rounds if he's super durable? Yes, the problem is Mana Martinez has power, and he has power throughout a fight. So I'm edging Mana. I wouldn't bet on this fight. Let me quickly look at the odds here. I'm, I'm assuming they're so far so wide apart that Brandon Davis. Yeah, I mean, plus 130 on Brandon Davis. I don't think this is worth investing into. Um, it's just hard to rely on either guy. Manny Martinez has made his mistakes at the UFC level as well. He's coming off a loss to Ronnie Lawrence in a fight which I think he got a couple knockdowns in the third round. Um, prior to that, he beat Guido Canetti, and that was his UFC debut. So look, the the guy the guy still has a lot to learn, still has a lot of work to do, trains with glory, MMA and fitness under James Krause, which is to his credit. I like his odds here, but uh, you know it's hard to... Hard to doubt Brandon Davis because he is going to be the taller man. He's going to have the higher output. He's going to be able to land more strikes. Just his durability, which is hard to trust in. Physically, these guys match up pretty closely, by the way. I, I would have thought that Brandon Davis was taller. It turns out they're about the same height of 5'10". Brandon Davis with a 2-inch reach advantage. Next, we got Rafael Sunsell, Victor Henry. Victor Henry looked spectacular in his debut as a huge underdog against Honey Barcelos. Um... This guy like has the makings of a top 10 bantamweight in, in the best division in the world when it comes to mixed martial arts. This guy has the potential to be one of the very elite here. He's shown in that Honey Barcelos fight. And Honey, you know, it's not like he's completely washed up as we saw uh, just a couple of weeks ago against Trevin Jones where he dominated that fight. Um, I Look, I like Victor Henry here. Rafael Santel, as steady as he is, as technical as he is, as smart as he is, as good of a counterfighter as he is. The Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt and all of that. He's on a four-fight lo- losing streak. And suddenly he's getting finished in three of those four fights, right? Marlon Moraes uh, guillotined him after hurting him on the feet almost immediately. Cody Garbrandt knocked him out. And Cody Garbrandt's not beating anybody here these days. And he beat Sao. Ricky Simone just blew through him, fucked him up in that second round, uh, knocked him out. Who, by the way, is looking like a world beater all of a sudden. The thing is that Sao is 40 years old. He's not just 40 years old at like 205 or 185 or, or the heavyweight division. He's 40 years old at 135 pounds. This is not a division where you want to be this far past your prime. You're probably not going to do very well here. Um, so I, I, I don't like where he is. I think he's realistically going to get dropped after this. And, and I don't know. I, I hope that he starts his own team and maybe he already has it so that, so that he doesn't have to keep fighting and get knocked out for money. Uh, although, again, Rafael Sancel losing to the very elite so far, right? So if the UFC gives him somebody at mid-level, I'm sure he could do just fine. Then we have Nick Maximo versus Jacob Malcoon. You know Jacob Malcoon is my guy. He trains with Robert Whitaker with the best middleweight in the planet. Um, in my opinion, his his record, by the way, is 6-2. and two. He should be 7-1. and one. He lost to Phil Hawes in his UFC debut. He then beat Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. He then beat AJ Dobson. He then, in my opinion, beat Brendan Allen. He out-jabbed the guy. He took the guy down at will. Um, even though Brendan Allen did land some stuff off his back and got up eventually at, at points, 
He like he took him down so many times and the striking was super close. I don't understand how or why he lost that fight. This is a six and one guy going into that matchup, going against an eighteen and five Brendan Allen. So the, like experience wise, he wasn't there, but he was neck and neck with that guy. And now he's going up against Nick Maximov, who's eight and one, right? Got a similar kind of experience level. The thing is, Nick Maximov trains with the Diaz brothers in twenty twenty two, not high level kind of training partners at all. Jacob Malkoon trains with arguably the best middleweight on planet Earth and Robert Whitaker. And from what I understand, they're, like, really close. They, they own their gym together, et cetera. So, like, he's getting high-level looks consistently and always. Look, is it possible that Nick Maximov just holds on to him against that fence and doesn't let go? It's possible. But given Jacob Malcolm's jab, given the fact that he's willing to and has some skill standing, given the fact that um, Maximov is coming off a submission loss, granted he beat Polinhaly Soriano, who's a wrestler, and Cody Brundage, who's a wrestler, basically by wrestling them or at least holding on to them really tight against the fence. I like Jacob Malcolm here as an underdog. I think that's disrespectful, man. He just he just arguably beat, uh, you know, a, a top ten level fighter um, in his last matchup as an underdog. So a little bit disrespectful. I like Malcoon here. I, I think Malcoon by decision prop is something worth investing into. I'm quickly gonna look up what the odds on that are. Jacob Malcoon was like a, around a plus one ten underdog. Him by decision. Give me a second here. Is going to give you plus one ninety, plus two hundred, plus one seventy five odds, depending on the book you're looking at. Plus two hundred is a great goddamn deal, if you ask me. And also Nick Maximov, if he wins, it's pro- it's going to be by decision. I don't see Malcolm getting finished here um, by anything close to a submission. So plus one fifty on Maximov, if you really believe in that guy. I, I'm just a really big believer in Malcolm. I, I think I think he's got the potential to, to compete with some high level fighters, despite his lack of dynamism. Next, we got Joe Anderson Brito versus Lucas Alexander. So this matchup is, I mean, it's kind of weird. It got put together last minute because because Joe Anderson's opponent pulled out last second, right? So he's coming off of a huge win over Andre Philly. He basically clocked him in the first round, got him out of there. Guy's got, guy's got some serious, serious power. And he's fighting Lucas Ale- Alexander, who's 7-2, and two, Literally, like, took this fight on three or four days' notice. Um, trains with Fusion Excel, Fusion Excel Performance, which is like uh, Jacare's old team. I don't know if Jacare's still over there, but there's a couple of a couple of guys that you may have heard of training with him over there. Like a bunch of guys, um, Beast Boy Brandon da- Mike Davis is is credited from there. Although I think he trains in Thailand. Philip Rowe, who's got a fairly successful UFC career, uh, trains out of there. A couple of decent guys. No, nobody, nobody to really write home about. Um, Hannah Goli, which is not really to the gym's credit, but um, I, I just feel like this is last minute. And Lucas Alexander also, like he's a guy who's had a lot of trouble making weight. Is there any reason to think that he'll make weight in this one? I don't think so. I, I think at, at minus three sixty odds, Joe Anderson Brito is probably worth probably worth um, a thought as as kind of a parlay piece. I wouldn't I wouldn't bet him straight. Um, Lucas Alexander. You know, if again, like he's he's got he's got some skills. He's just not prepared for this level of competition. His last losses are in 2017, 2018, and, and since then he's on a five fight winning streak. But it's against guys with like eight and five, three and one, three and two, five and you know six and seven records. Um, so he's not ready for for a for a Joe Anderson Brito who is 13, three and one with a one and one UFC record. One fight against Bill Algio, who's just a tough, gritty customer. And then he got a finish of Andre Philly, who's arguably top 15 in the division. I, I, I like uh, I like the favorite here. And I think he might be the biggest favorite, uh, Joe Anderson Brito, in this matchup. And probably for good reason, especially given the short notice nature of this matchup. Against, again, Lucas is a guy who didn't make weight for a lot of his last several matchups. He made weight in his last fight, but 
several of his last fight in the, in the several fights prior to that he weighs in a little bit above 146 um so he's barely able to really make that weight consistently and i don't think he's going to make weight in this case i think this line will probably jump even further apart once weigh-ins happen tomorrow morning then we've got um Pereira rodriguez versus sam hughes Pereira rodriguez being the favorite here she is eight and oh coming off of a win over Kay hansen in a matchup where Kay hansen did well early on including a takedown um and did okay even in the stand-up portion which is where uh, Pierre Rodriguez is really talented. That's where her strength is. You know, she did get a couple of takedowns late in that fight. She's facing Sam Hughes, who started off her UFC career seemingly not UFC level at all. Got blown out by Tisha Torres, uh, dominated by Loma Lugbume, beaten by Luana Pinero, and and then she beat Estela Nunez and Elise Reed as a big underdog, right, by basically just outgrading them. Trains with Fortis MMA now, which I think is to her credit. I think it's really working for her. This girl can take damage early, and she will not stop. She will not relent. She will not stop moving forward. She will not stop going for takedowns. Once she gets takedowns, she is nasty from up top. Um, going up against Pera Rodriguez, who, again, is real dynamic, um, has some good basics about her, doesn't uh, doesn't kind of overextend herself and, and, and drop everything in the first round the way that uh, Estela Nunes did to Sam Hughes, right? So... There's some similarities between her and Estella Nunez and some differences, and Sam Hughes was able to beat Estella Nunez. Um, I think I'm going to take Sam Hughes here as an underdog. A lot of these women's fights are way closer than the odds suggest, and you've got Sam Hughes who's been kind of consistently an underdog. I think she's somewhere around plus 140. I think realistically she's not going to finish this fight because it seems like uh, Pereira Rodriguez has some gas, has a, has a pretty solid gas tank. So I would seriously consider putting in Sam Hughes by decision and you can get plus 225 odds on her, depending on the sports book, by decision. I, I think if she's going to win this fight, it's going to be that way. And I think like it's a pick em. It's likely going to go to decision. Sam Hughes is too tough to get finished. Pierre Rodriguez doesn't have terrible cardio, but she's going to get tested here because Sam Hughes is going to make her work really, really hard defensively and offensively. Sam Hughes is going to make her work off of her back. So uh, I like Sam Hughes here by decision. I think I think she can prob uh, possibly work through this. But again, like, if the odds were even here, I would have a really hard time picking. But you give me an underdog in a fight that I otherwise think is going to be fairly close. Pierre Rodriguez looking really good early, and Sam Hughes taking over late. Um, I like Sam Hughes. Also, maybe worth considering this fight on the live betting market, because I think after round one, Sam Hughes will be an even bigger underdog. You might catch her at, like, plus 200 uh, or so at that point. Then we've got CJ Vergara versus uh, Tatsuya Tyra. Vergara, in my opinion, should be 0-2 in the UFC. He did uh, lose his UFC debut to Ode Osborne, and then he got a decision over Clayton Rodriguez in a fight that I thought that Rodriguez won. Yeah, he got a little bit tired, and and Vergara looked good late, but I still didn't think he earned the decision. Like, it, it, It's kind of silly to me. And he's facing this Japanese... Um, I think he's Japanese. He doesn't fight Japanese. I just want to make sure. Yes, this Japanese prospect who is predominantly a grappler with... Like, really, honestly, a solid grappler. I think he's got a three-fight uh, finish streak leading up to his UFC debut uh, where he beat Carlos Candelario by decision. Um, I think he's got he's got the skills to win every element of this fight unless his gas tank fails him or he just makes really bad tactical decisions. Uh, he's got what it takes to beat C.J. Vergara. But don't write C.J. Vergara off. Like, in general, the guy has got grit, man. He will not stop trying no matter how much you rough him up early in a fight. He will keep on trying. He will keep on trying to get you. Then we have Mike Jackson versus Pete Rodriguez in a fight that has no business being on a UFC card. Mike Jackson won and won in his MMA career. His win over CM Punk was overturned due to, a, I think, a positive marijuana test. And then he has a disqualification win over Dean Barry, another amateur-level fighter who he fought um, in, uh, I think it was April of this year. 
look, Mike Jackson, you know, he might look okay for the first little while because he's going to be the taller man. But I expect that Peter Rodriguez, even though he's a raw kind of just swinger, he just like drops bombs. I think that's enough. Being the more athletic guy, being a real fighter rather than, you know, basically a photographer and, and I don't know, like attempted a social media influencer on Twitter, Mike Jackson. I, I think that, uh, you know, a real UFC level athlete should be able to take this. And Pete Rodriguez has no business being this big of a favorite because he's four and one. Facing a guy who's basically one, one, and one should be two, and, uh, should be two and one. Mike Jackson uh, with that win over CM Punk, but I like Pete Rodriguez here. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put money on this fight because it's just all risk and very little reward. That'll do it for this card. Um, we have the big UFC pay per view next week, which I'm pretty excited about. Nick and I should be able to get together hopefully early next week to break it down for you all. Just quickly looking at the card here, we have. UFC 280, Oliveira versus Makhachev. Fascinating matchup. I cannot wait for this. I think it's fascinating that the line has come so much closer together. Islam Makhachev was such a huge favorite initially, and then Charles Oliveira, I think fans have bet him into a place where, where it's fairly fairly close on paper. I'm fascinated by it. I look forward to watching more tape. Sterling versus Dillashaw is fascinating to me, too. I'm having a hard time picking a winner in that bout. Piotr Jan versus Sean O'Malley, I think a three-rounder. Give Sean O'Malley a much higher chance than the odds would suggest, but... Uh, five rounder would give Piotr Jan, I think, the edge running away. Benil Darius versus Mateos Gamro, a high level 155 pound fight. I'm fascinated by it. These guys have a combined record of 42 5 and 1. Um, we got Kaitlin Shugagan, Menno Ferro, high level fight at 125, basically a, a top three, top four mainstay against a, a serious up and comer. Bilal Muhammad, Sean Brady, another top level fight. Man, I'm fascinated by this one, especially with Bilal Muhammad having trade with uh, Khabib's team with Islam Makachev leading up to this one. Zubair Tahuga versus Lucas Almeida, I guess, will be interesting enough. Mahmoud Morado versus Chao Borrelio. I'm fascinated by two serious prospects in that 185-pound division. Um, let me see. We got Mohamed Mokayev versus Malcolm Gordon. You know, on paper, it looks like a squash match. But, it, you know, maybe if Malcolm can make it through the first few minutes, he can give him a stiff test. Malcolm does get stronger as the fight goes on. And he's shown that he has more metal than his first couple of UFC fights might suggest he has. Volkan Ozdemir, Nikita Krilov, you know, Light heavyweights with a shitload of holes in their in their games should be exciting. Um, let me see outside of that. Armin Pedrosian and AJ Jobson should be fun to watch. Lena Landsberg, uh, Carol Rosa would be entertaining, I would think. Um, oh, Jelton Almeida is fighting Shamil Durahimov. Presumably another kind of squash match for Jelton Almeida, but I'm very intrigued by this guy and looking forward to seeing where he goes. Should be a good one. Looking forward to coming back here with Nick if he makes enough time for all of us because Nick's a very busy man. He's got other shit to do. You know what I'm saying? Man's got to buy a mic because uh, because he doesn't have a mic anymore. Hopefully our production value will go back up to where it was. I know the last handful of episodes have not been awesome in that way. Thank you all for listening. Looking forward to connecting next week. Peace.